Welcome to the Apostolic Review, a community of apostolic authors, bloggers, podcasters, and theologians. In today's episode, Dr. Jackson interviews pastor and author David Myers. They discuss his recent book, Background in Law, Global Missions, and much, much more. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. So thankful today to be joined uh, by a personal friend and tremendous author, pastor, lawyer, father, <laughs> husband, and family man, David Myers. Uh, he's a pastor of East Wind Pentecostal Church in Palm Bay, Florida. Um, and it's just delightful to have you here with us, David. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, Dr. Jackson. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, I, I, I want to be Clay. I want to be Clay. So <laughs> please, if you say Dr. Jackson, I think I need a Rick's prescription. So it's really, it's, <laughs> it's really great to have you with us. Um, just a little bit of, of, of background. Uh, what's, what's so neat about these conversations is we get to talk about a book, but we also get to talk about the author and uh, uh, the, the person and how they bring their, uh, their life to that story. So um, I know you're a pastor uh, of a thriving, uh, wonderful church that has a global reach and is also having a tremendous impact on the kingdom of God in the, the, the Palm Bay area. So tell us a little bit about East Wind and how did you uh, come to pastor that church and what was that journey like? Oh, thank you so much, Clay. We, we were first um, here in the city uh, back in 1971 uh, when my family moved here. I was uh, in between second and third grade, and we had uh, been in a little city in the panhandle of Florida called Port St. Joe, which had about 3,000 people in it. And when we moved to this area, uh, Palm Bay only had about 5,000 people, but it was twin cities with a, a little bigger city called Melbourne, and Melbourne had about 45,000. So we really thought we had moved uptown, and uh, my father pastored it for a number of years, and we saw steady growth, several building programs. And then in um, 1998, uh, my father had triple heart bypass. And uh, he went into the role of bishop. And I went into the role of senior pastor. And since that time, God's just been really good to us. We've seen the church quadruple. This city has grown to about 125,000. And uh, we've been able to continue our building programs and continue to expand satellite campuses and I reach into overseas building programs with churches in third world countries. It's just been a great journey to see so many lives change and to be a part of what God's doing. That is fantastic. And one of the uh, fascinating parts of your life uh, to me personally, and I'm sure to many who know you and uh, who are familiar with your ministry is that in a real sense, you have an element of bivocationality in your ministry. You're, a uh, professionally trained lawyer. Tell us a little bit about uh, why you chose law and uh, where you went to school and, and what that was like. Well, you know, Clay, back in the 80s, I had graduated from Bible school in 84 and went evangelizing. And somewhere around the late 80s, I really felt that I needed to continue my education. At that time, my Bible school education was not accredited. So I really felt led to go to law school but I wasn't really prepared for it because I didn't have an undergraduate degree that was accredited. So I started going to Southeastern uh, University in uh, Lakeland, Florida, and they are a uh, university associated with the Assemblies of God. 
and they were kind. Uh, they allowed me to take a lot of classes um, by remote location. So when I was evangelizing, I could I could study material and proctor exams and so forth. That, that was, was unusual of, at that time, right? I mean, that, it really that was. They, now, yeah. now distance learning is 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 par for the course, but then they they really reached for you. That that's exactly right. This was before you know Liberty University uh, became so you know prevalent in that area. But they um, had started that, and it was really great. I mean, I would have to go to the campus for exams and whatnot, but they really made it possible for me to get my undergraduate degree uh, pretty rapidly, and uh, then to be able to start law school uh, in the mid-90s. And so my focus in going into law school was never to uh, be a lawyer per se, uh, but it was to uh, be able to benefit churches and ministries. And while I was in law school, I met Matt Staver, who was the founder of Liberty Council in Orlando. I was going to law school in Orlando, and uh, I met him. His wife was actually uh, in class, in the same class that I was in. So we were on a number of projects together, and I started interning with Liberty Council. And after I graduated from law school and took the bar exam, I started working with Liberty Council, uh, doing religious civil liberties work, mainly in federal court, traveling all over the country, working with some amazing people, um, defending religious civil liberties here in America. We had a couple of cases that went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and so I got involved in that, and it was very fulfilling. But as the church continued to grow, it became difficult for me to to do both very well. And so I'm still very close to the Stavers and we still collaborate. But uh, I went full time into pastoring the church and then just consulting um, with legal issues at that time. How does legal training uh, shape your preparation for a sermon or your reading style or your communication style. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think we've all, uh, let, let me say it this way, since we're an apostolic broadcast, some of us may have been in a hotel lobby when Perry Mason was on in the, in the lobby. <laughs> we, we may have passed by and seen Perry Mason. So we, we have an idea of what legal argument is like. Uh, uh, do, do you preach with a, with a, you know, a, a, a style of, of building an argument? Do you communicate that way naturally in, in a in a ministerial setting? Uh, or does it influence your study? What What's the influence there? Because I'm, I'm fascinated by that. You know, it's interesting you'd say that because uh, two weeks ago, there was an older gentleman here in town that's been a trial lawyer for more than 50 years. And I work with him a lot of uh, personal injury cases. And he came to church. And afterwards, we had gone out to eat. And he was commenting about the sermon, and he said, your legal education comes through in your presentation. I didn't realize that. But, you know, they say about law school that they don't really teach you the law. They teach you how to think. And probably different ways that it comes out in public speaking is that uh, you do try to build a case. You try to validate what you're saying. You realize that just words alone are not convincing, that there needs to be some uh, credibility to it. So you try to try to build that validity through scripture uh, in multiple ways and multiple places. And then I think it probably helps you just be more succinct in your presentation, because I remember when they were teaching us a class called legal research and writing that the professor said, when you're writing a legal document, you should be able to read the first paragraph and the last paragraph and it all tie together. So that if you were to pull a string through the entire document, 
on the back end of that document, the front paragraph would pucker. In other words, there has to be, <laughs> there has to be continuity through everything that you say and everything you write. So I think that probably did come through in just, you know, the legal education, even without maybe thinking about it intentionally. I'm sure it's, it's a part of who you are. Uh, you're sitting here talking about brevity and how legal training helps you. And I'm, I'm just thinking our poor saints at Arlington United are probably wishing I had not gone into medicine. <laughs> because, because they have to wait on me 45 minutes when they come to the clinic. And they probably have to wait on me 45 minutes when they come to the church. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Awesome. Now, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested because uh, we think of Ephesians 4.11 and the equipping gifts, the speaking leadership roles that are in the church in terms of uh, contemporary apostolic ministries, prophetic ministries, uh, shepherding ministries, evangelistic ministries, and teaching ministries. You mentioned that you, uh, you know, obviously now uh, the pastoral ministry and shepherding is a primary ministerial uh, vein that you're flowing in in terms of equipping ministries. Um, but you have served as an evangelist, but clearly because of your ways of building argument and your ways of studying, teaching would come naturally to you. Um, where do you think is your home base? What, com what comes most natural to you? in terms of equipping the saints, in terms of that um, that that sort of five-fold uh, organization of, of, of leadership giftings? Well, I think you're right. I think, you know, for me personally, you know, ministry has always been, I guess, what I'm most comfortable with in terms of uh, public speaking. I never have really felt like I was a, an overly uh, compassionate person. I feel like, you know, that a lot of times I, I need to learn and work on being patient. But I found that even when I stepped into the role here at Eastwind as being the senior pastor, that God kind of gives you what you need for the role, even if it's not your default position. And so totally you find yourself really uh, loving and caring and, and, and maybe being outside of what your, your natural wheelhouse is. And so he, he sort of equips you for that. And, you know, it, it gives you the, the necessary uh, tools that you need because, you know, there's some things that all of us are, are more inclined toward, more gifted in, and other areas that we have to work at. And I think most people would say that even, even in leadership. I've even heard uh, Dr. Bernard uh, say some things to that effect in some of our leadership training. So I know that. Uh, for me personally, um, I felt like the Lord would use whatever gifts that you gave him. You know, I look at Paul and I see where he was a lawyer and how God was very intentional about recruiting him because sure. he needed someone that he could reach the Gentiles with. And Paul sure. was a lawyer. His writings are very lawyer-like in Romans. And he builds a case and he was able to speak before kings. And, and so, you know, God used him in a very unique way. I don't know that Paul was ever really accepted by that Jerusalem crowd, but, you know, God had a plan for him. And so that gives me great hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, maybe maybe next week we can have Brother Bernard on to talk about the Jerusalem crowd and see about how that goes. Um, you know, it's, it is, it's just it's so interesting because, you know, you and I, uh, we're, we're privileged to have been uh, uh, taught 
many times by Brother Bernard, who, who also you know has legal training. And when he gets up within three minutes, you know where he's going. Right. Um, and there are there just aren't a lot of surprises. He's an extremely anointed speaker. Uh, he is dynamic, but he's quite organized and logical in his progression. And uh, it sounds like you have, based on your lawyer friend's assessment, you have some of those same characteristics in terms of uh, speaking. And of course, God uses all types of different people. And they're uh, wonderful storytellers, and they're those who are more uh, logically oriented in their speaking style. They're those who are emotive in their speaking style. And God uses different things. I I do know, I, I believe, it, it, it just resonates with me very strongly what you say about that when you're in a new role, you find the lift of the spirit and how God helps you. I, personally, for me, um, my wheelhouse is probably more teaching uh, and I probably feel most natural in that role. And it it, it fits me professionally. But um, when we planted a church here, I found that every day, all these people, uh, they're just on my mind all the time. And I don't even have to be spiritual. I, I can be in a bad mood. They're still on my mind. I don't, I don't have to to rise to that level because they're just in my heart. And that, that was a little bit new for me, to be honest, in terms of the, the accountability aspect of caring for souls and, and not just getting information to them or seeing transformation, but the relational aspect of, of, of standing sort of in a priestly role. Uh, and so that, that, that resonates with me. What I want to, I want to get to the, to the book and uh, um, it's the title is the joy bucket. It is your bucket list for life, and uh, it's just such a clever play on words in terms of uh, people think of a bucket list as things they need to do, um, but you you talk about things that you need to put into your bucket and uh, and and how that constitutes joy. Um, Why do you want to write a book? You're a busy guy. Um, what what inspired you to say? Oh man, I think I'll take hours and hours out of my life and my weeks and months here, and uh, as a busy father and husband and pastor, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a book. Yeah, you know, it's really a, it's a neat project. I, I really, I think I was originally influenced to write uh, when I was in law school, and I found I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the creative process, but I think also I was uh, impacted by some things I read. I believe even by uh, Charles Spurgeon about how what you write will outlive your life. And, you know, when you reach a certain age, you start thinking about um, wh what you're going to leave behind. You feel like you've been given a lot, but, you know, how, how are you going to leave the earth a better place? And there's a great book uh, written by Bob Buford called Halftime. And it's about how the first half of a man's life you seek for success in the second half, you look for significance. And I think writing adds to that significance portion. And so when I was in law school, I started seeing a lot of similarities between uh, American jurisprudence and, and biblical principles. So my first book was called The Supremacy Clause, which is about how the laws of man illustrate the love of God and, and the comparison between what we were learning in terms of our legal concepts with biblical concepts like contracts covenants and the word of God, you know, property law, inheritance, uh, even the point of uh, speaking in tongues as evidence and how that relates to evidence law. So that was the original. And then, you know, joy has, has kind of been a part of uh, of my life from the very beginning is, is kind of understanding 
how, you know, joy and laughter can help you through uh, difficult places. And really, this book was written in 2020 when we were shut down with COVID. And I thought, what a great way to give the devil a black eye is to write a book about joy in the middle of COVID. And so, you know, that year when a lot of things were put on pause, we we tried to use that time to go forward. There's a, there's a verse in the book of Acts that talks about how the Lord fulfilled his promise to Abraham that he would make him a father of many nations when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. In that 400 years when they were in an adverse environment, God was fulfilling his promises. And I thought, you know, in an adverse environment, we look around. He doesn't intend for us as the church to be in a defensive posture. He intends for us to be in a place of progression, pursuit, moving forward. And so this book was a, a way of, of being able to say, you know what? This is not a time of sorrow, hurt, pain. This is the time to really examine our lives and to figure out what joy is. And it comes from Isaiah 12 where it says, therefore, with joy shall yes. you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Yes. And so you have to have a bucket. What is it you're going to draw water out of those wells of salvation? And you find that joy is that bucket. And I started from the very beginning of my ministry, I started seeing where joy and people being filled with the Holy Ghost were linked together. Okay. And so how do we how do we live life that way on a daily basis? And that's really uh, what the idea of the book is, is having that joy as an integral part of our life on a daily basis. I love it. I love it. I love it that you thought about writing this book about joy in a pandemic. I thought about writing one about depression. So that's, that shows the difference. <laughs> that shows you the difference between the two of us. Um, so, um, thank God for, thank God for David Myers. Um, what's, what's, what's people's biggest misconception about joy in our contemporary society? Uh, and let's, let's, let's forget the long way right now. Let's, let's talk about Palm Bay. I mean, what, what's the biggest misconception that we have about joy? I think the biggest misconception, and that's a great question, I think the biggest misconception is that somehow joy and happiness is synonymous okay. and that our joy is basically just being happy and it's based upon, you know, the positive circumstances that we have going around. So people think, you know, if I have enough money, I'll be happy and that'll bring me joy. If I have the perfect relationship, you know, I'll be happy and that'll bring me joy. If I'm, you know, got a great job. If I'm in good health, we think of joy as being extrinsic rather than intrinsic. And we think that it's based on our circumstances where really from a biblical perspective, joy is intrinsic. It's based upon who we are on the inside where, you know, happiness could be based on happenings or happenstance and be more connected with externals. But joy is something that happens from within. And the scripture spends a lot of time instructing us about joy. How do we get it right based on who we are at our core from within? You know, is it fair to say that happiness is circumstantial, but joy is providential, that there is an ontologic connection to joy? I, you know, I, I, I think of when Jesus said, don't rejoice because demons are subject to you. And I, you know, ministerially, I would be pretty excited to come back and report to my mentor, yes, this demonic power demonstrated itself and we we conquered in your name. I, I, that's a great Sunday night tweet. 
Um, That really works for us in terms of our religious validation. But Jesus said, this is not the cause for joy. The cause for joy is your relationship uh, to the father through the, the Lamb's book of life. So what, you know, is it, is it fair to say that, that joy is connected to him more than it is to, to what's around us? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a great description. I believe that many times joy can be the opposite of what we think of when we think of happiness, because many times with joy, we find that it comes from the Lord and it only comes when we sort of have an empty bucket. We have to create space for it where happiness is based on filling up uh, the bucket with stuff. And yet joy is based on finding really what's of value. And you can only find that when things are sometimes stripped out of your life because the the stuff. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say this. I want to, I want to hear about that stuff that I got to get out of my book. And I want to know, I want to know about these, these, this is the five rocks of David Myers. And he says, get out of your bucket. So so walk, walk me through that. How do I become more joyful? What do I, what do I need to get rid of uh, in order to have more joy? Well, for example, if if we think that like money is going to make us happy, so many people that you and I both know are very wealthy and yet they're very empty. Uh, we, we feel like if we have uh, a, a big house, a big car, a lot of material stuff, we think that somehow uh, that's going to make us uh, happy. And a lot of people achieve that and they do it absent from a spiritual pursuit. And when they get to the top of the mountain, they're like, this is it. I thought there was going to be a lot more. And so then they start uh, trying to find other things where the, the the contrast to that, and you and I have both been involved in going to third world countries and seeing where people didn't have anything. And yet when we went to serve and we went to give, we felt such joy. We felt such fulfillment. Now we were not, we weren't staying in, you know, the Ritz hotel. We weren't, uh, you know, eating steaks every night. We were there to serve them. We were in third world countries. We were maybe even taking, you know, some health risk being there, but there was such fulfillment. That's part of that emptying out process. And when you have your whole life filled with materialism or filled with artificial, uh, you know, what we think of today to be the things that will give us happiness and joy. When we have all those things in our life and we're still not full, we have to realize that it's the emptying of those things that we create space where God can speak to us and say, I'm going to give you an understanding of what real joy is. And it's not the accumulation of things. It's understanding that God can give us something special in the gaps that we create for him. But because we live in America and we live in a very affluent society, we have to create that space for God then to be able to show us and give us a revelation of joy. I I think of how Paul reminds us that joy is a a component of the spirit's fruit and it, it grows within us. But, uh, to, to change the analogy a little bit for the bucket uh, and, and emptying out, you know, in order for a, a, a fruit to be produced, there are certain weeds and pests that have to be taken away as well. So we, we have to give room for the, for that component of, of God's fruit to grow within us. It, it, um, it, it's a, it's a scripture that challenges me. It, it uh, that reminds us that Jesus because of the joy that was before him, uh, 
you know, the shame of the cross was not a barrier to him. Have you have you experienced in your life that that joy um, is a, a balm for suffering, or is there a way that is there a way that present joys or the contemplation of future joys sort of insulates us against some of the pains of present circumstances? How how does joy work in in that way? Well, I think you bring I think you bring a really good point, and this is some of what we write about in the book, and that is, you know, joy is not based upon a perfect environment. Uh, joy is is based upon going through pain and suffering. And finding that, you know, when you go through hurt and heartache, and we've all uh, gone through hurt and heartache, you you learn to dig deep. You learn to dig down into uh, some deep wells and and find that God is not distant whenever uh, you're going through uh, difficult circumstances. He actually comes closer. And it's that process of learning that we don't have to be perfect people. We don't have to have a perfect environment to experience the joy of the Lord. A lot of times, you know, uh, Clay, I think our relationship with God, we run it through the paradigm of how we would relate with other people. And so we think of our relationship with God the way we think of our relationship with our fellow man. But actually, God's relationship with us is much different. We we don't have to uh, be clever conversationalists for God to draw near to us. We don't have to uh, bring a lot of valuable uh, assets to the table uh, for him to want to be our friend. God is a God that he created us, so his love for us is, is more like a, a parental love. And, you know, when your child is hurting, you come close to that child, and that's the sure. way it is with us. We, when we really want to dig down deep and find out how we can get joy, you, you don't have to be in a perfect environment to find it. In fact, the contrast to that is actually true, and that is when you go through pain, you're perfectly positioned to find real joy because you reach beyond yourself, and that's where you find it. Well, I, I'm, I'm moved here at this point in the conversation because you and I do have some shared experiences, and uh, I know we're in a digital format here, and you want to be respectful to all involved as I as I do as well. But your line to you talked about success and significance. Your 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 trajectory to get to that point of success and however we would define it and significance. It's not been a straight line. Uh, mine has not been a straight line. We've we've both walked through the trauma of relational rupture that was unexpected, uh, unanticipated, and, and uninvited. So, if if you're willing to speak to that, how how have you found? Uh, some life experiences to shape your view of joy and, and how does that help you in not only taking confidence today, but, um, but ministering to others that may be dealing with challenges that may be different in circumstance, but equal in, in their uh, importance and magnitude. Well, thank you for uh, mentioning that Clay, because I do talk about that in the book. And I think for me, uh, as an individual, I, I was raised in a very positive environment. My parents were and are uh, great examples of Christianity. They were genuine. Um, they they were faithful. 
they were amazing parents, unselfish. And, you know, early on in my life, I had a lot of positive uh, reinforcement around me. And I was involved as a Bible quizzer when I was a young person and, and found, you know, success in that and, and school. And I, I enjoyed, you know, friends and, 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 you know, I, I found myself in a very positive environment. So those formative years were like that. But when I was like 14 years old, uh, they discovered that I had severe scoliosis and uh, they wanted to operate and put, uh, you know, two steel Harrington rods in my back, fuse it with 17 vertebrae. And I, you know, was not sure what all that would look like. They Eventually, my family and I and the doctors decided uh, not to do that. It was still kind of experimental at that point. But uh, they did put me in a brace. So I went through my high school years wearing a back brace 23 hours a day uh, in an attempt to uh, try to slow down the scoliosis because the bottom part of my spine curved at a 64 degree angle. The top part of my spine curved at a 56 degree angle. And I, um, I had compensating curves. So, you, you know, you couldn't necessarily tell by just looking. Uh, but, you know, I did wear a brace for three years through those uh, those crucial years where you're going through the, you know, the identifying stage of, you know, who you are, and what you're going to identify with. And so it was through those times where I had to really dig down deep and find that God was a good God that was a faithful friend. And of course, we came through that. God worked a tremendous miracle. Uh, they did say they said the curves would not correct themselves, but it would just keep them from getting worse. But when they took me out of the brace, I was actually in my first year of Bible school, and the curves had gone down to 30 degrees. And you know, God has always sort of kept a little bit there to remind me. You know, don't get too big for your britches. You know, I'm, I'm still a god that controls. You know, your uh, your skeletal structure, and uh, you know, you need to lean on me. So, uh, but I've been able to. Uh, they told me I'd be in a wheelchair by the time I was 25 years old. I've been skydiving. I've been bungee jumping. I, you know, hang glided. I, everything you can imagine, almost to, to defy all the reports. You know that they gave me as a young person. But then after coming through that, going through Bible school, evangelizing, I got married at a young age. And then, um, you know, again, I was raised in an environment where, you know, divorce was never a question. And and yet uh, I went through a very brief marriage that ended in divorce. And, you know, when you're in the ministry, uh, you never expect for that to happen. You never plan on it happening. Uh, but sometimes it happens. And so what do you do now? And I, I can remember you know, just uh, laying on the floor and, and trying to figure out what my future was going to be like. And that's when I found that God was a God that would come close to you in a time of, of trial and hurt and heartache. And and sometimes people, you know, they, they don't know what to say. Uh, they don't know what to do. They hear stories. And so people can't comfort you. It's almost, you know, like what Job went through, his friends didn't know what to do, and his family relations, of course, were taken from him. But it's in those times when you really learn what joy is. And what I found, Clay, is that everybody has something in their life. There's some cross that someone has carried that, you know, has caused them to have to reexamine what their priorities are. Yes. And through that, I found real joy. I found a God that would reinforce uh, this fruit of the Spirit, as it were, and give us an outlook on life that if you stay faithful and you just take it a day at a time, 
I look back now and I think I've been so blessed in my life. Yes. I don't know how uh, God could give me any more. He's blessed me with a tremendous family, three children, a great church. And I've been able to help other people. I've been able to travel to 115 countries. I've been able to experience so much joy. But I can remember going through those difficult times when people, not realizing what journey you're on, said to me, you know, David, you just seem like you're too happy. You really need to frown more when you're at general conference and, and walk around more with a heavy heart. And I think you generate more compassion. <laughs> I said, That's all I know awesome. how to do. That is awesome. <laughs> I actually had advice from elder ministers that told me that. Yeah, yeah, I said, brother, I don't thank know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Brother Eliphaz. Thank you, Brother Eliphaz, for your contribution from the book of Job. That is so awesome. Oh, that's so I, I awesome. Said, I, don't, I don't know how to be just myself, you know. And, but what they didn't realize is the journey I was on was the Lord saying, hey, I'm with you. And just walk with me. And I, he was giving me a revelation of joy that hopefully um, will benefit and serve other people as well. I'm going to be honest for a moment, and I want to see if you will endorse this statement or say, man, you're stupid. Uh, but I, I have to look at my own life, David, and some of the things that were so destructive at the time. I, I really thought they were going to destroy me. And this has been in multiple life circumstances, but certainly some of the trauma that you're talking about, uh, uh, physical, relational, uh, et cetera. What I thought was going to destroy me actually built me. It, it destroyed some of the things in myself that needed to go. Um, it, where I'm from in West Tennessee, we say, well, that boy got the starch mark knocked out of him. We, we, yeah. we talk about, we talk about, you know, Humility just has to get in. I mean, it, it just has right. to if you're going to be effective, and and empathy has to get in. Uh, it, it, and I have to admit that some of the circumstances I've been through that I thought were going to destroy me, I find myself using those lessons every day, not only to help others but to help myself. Um, and if it hadn't come through those circumstances, sometimes as a as a mental parlor game, I just wondered what God would have had to put me through. Would have been illness or, you know, I, I hope that the Holy Spirit would have been able just to, I would have responded to him in a closet somewhere and I would have learned this without negative life circumstances. But to me, it seems I had to, to go through some negative experiences uh, or, or at least I learned the lessons through them. Um, do you find that having gone through some negative circumstances that, that you've taken things out of those circumstances and those lessons that you're using now in your ministry in, in the so-called good part, and I'm using air quotes here, um, are you still using those lessons today? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like it's twofold. I think that to your first point, I think it's very accurate, and that is that the Lord does have to uh, get the starch out of us, so to speak, as you, you, you referenced. I do think that there is a process uh, that God has all of us on. If he's going to use us, then we have to uh, empty ourselves of ourselves and and lean upon him and not upon our own natural ability. So I think everybody, every single person that wants to be used of God, God has to get us to a point where we depend upon him. So I think there is that personal development. But to your second point, absolutely. I think in ministry, 
uh, you're effective uh, if you can relate with people. And yeah. what I thought uh, would be a detriment in many ways I've seen has been a blessing. Uh, even recently, I, I serve on the district board in, in the state of Florida, in the district of Florida, and a minister came and uh, had had gone through a very very difficult time. And of course, as a district board, you have to examine his holding license and so forth. And I found myself, though I'm a member of a board, I found myself being drawn uh, to this man, not just with sympathy, but to your point, with empathy, because I've yeah. sat at the other end of that table. Yeah. And I feel like that God uses every circumstance that we've gone through to make us better equipped to be able to minister to the body of Christ. Because, you know, God came for people that were hurting. He came for people uh, that were struggling. And all of us in ministry, we find those circumstances uh, that, that can contribute to us being able to connect with people for where they're at. If I had never gone through what I went through, I probably would never be able to connect uh, and relate to people that are hurting, that are struggling, that are going through a, a crisis in life. And, so, and really, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about the joy bucket. But the uh, the second book that I wrote called Heaven, We Have a Problem, examines the Apollo 13 mission. And it's because I grew up here on the Space Coast. And it's about every every Apollo mission was about uh, getting to the getting man to the land on the moon. And Apollo 13, when they had that unexpected explosion, the focus of that mission was how to get back to Earth safely again. And the premise of that book is when you've had an unexpected explosion in life, how do you get back to a safe place? And there's a tremendous amount of biblical, spiritual uh, leading and guiding that helps us get back to a safe place. And so it, it really does carve who you are. And you find that you, you learn the love of God is so prevalent in all of the twists and turns of life. And I think it gives you a, a chance to really re-examine your priorities and to live your life focused on the really important things. So well said. It, it's so well said. I, I think one of my, perhaps my mistakes is that early on in an attempt, you know, I loved God from an early age. You know, I, I think I preached my first sermon at age 14. God helped those people. <laughs> um, that were there on that Wednesday night, but uh, I, I just I've I've always wanted a life of of pleasing God, and I've wanted a life that was useful for Him. But early on, I think in that enterprise, uh, I thought that what I needed more of was people's respect, and them thinking that oh, this guy knows what's going on or how to get to where I want to be. And I don't know. Maybe in the second half here, I've started to think that. Really what I need is people's confidence that they understand that I know where they are and and that I can feel, you know, I, only Jesus was perfect. He, he had everything. I mean, he, he didn't have the flaws and yet he felt and feels our infirmities. And I, it, it strikes me that um, even ministerially, it's some of the things that we've been through that we wouldn't choose, regardless of how the circumstance came. It's walking through that that allows us to 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 be more effective in getting this tremendous supernatural power actually into the hands of hurting people that that need it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 that 
Christ has committed to the church, the word of reconciliation. And I, I got to be honest with you, that's awesome. I love the word of reconciliation. I love speaking it. But we also have committed to us the work of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. And that's a little dirtier. That's a little more hands-on. That's a little, um, it, it's it's not a straight trajectory when we work with people and, and make ourselves vulnerable to them, leading them forward. I, I did want to ask you, because I know that you mentioned the district board and there are circumstances you could deal with. I, I know that you've also had work with the United Pentecostal Church International Ministerial Appeals Council. Um, what would you say to somebody who, at any level, whether there's a licensure issue, whether there's a, a, a certification, anyone who's a Christian leader um, in, in any capacity, but they're hurting, there's a challenge, uh, something unexpected has happened, internal, external, some combination. You have had a unique perspective of being able to to hear stories and be a part of processes in terms of, of trying to help people through some difficult circumstances. What would you say to somebody who's hurting today? They want to, they, this is not for the deceivers and the wolves and the, and, and the people right. who are trying to fool people. I'm talking about sincere people who are hurting today. What would you say to them? Because you've been there in some capacity. You've seen people um, go through these circumstances and be effective. What would you say to somebody who's had a bomb go off in their life? I had a wise man uh, say something to me. I was going through a very difficult season that I never forgot. He said, you know, David, if you're doing what's right, time is your friend. If you're doing what's wrong, time is your enemy. Amen. And I had some people tell me, you know, five years, ten years from now, you'll look back and you'll be able to see how God kept you through this season. But a lot of times when you're in the middle of it, you're just trying to survive. You're just doggy paddling. So you're not really looking at how beautiful the water is or the mountains around you <laughs> yeah, exactly. or how beautiful the sand on the shore is. Right, you're just right. trying to survive, keep your head above water. But I think the best advice is that if you can grab a hold of some biblical principles and say, you know what? I'm going to just live day to day based on these principles. I remember uh, reading a book by uh, Max Lucado called When God Whispers Your Name. Yep. At, a, at a difficult time in my life. And he said a couple of things in that book that I hung on to. One is that you got to stay connected. You got to stay on the vine. And sometimes okay. when you're hurting, you want to isolate yourself. You can't do that. You got to stay connected. And then the second thing he said is, and he uses the analogy of letting go of the steering wheel. He said, a lot of times we try to use our own hands and muscle about uh, an end result. And sometimes you got to let go of the steering wheel and you got to let God sort of direct. you got to let him drive the, sh the ship, so to speak. And I think uh, if you can just grab a hold of some biblical principles and say, this doesn't seem logical in my mind, but I'm just going to live by this single principle that's in the word of God. And I'm going to just put one foot in front of the other and just day to day walk with him. And, and, you know, the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When you're hurting You'll find a way to justify some action. You'll find a way to see logic into some decision that you're going to make. And if you can remove yourself from your own understanding and just live by biblical principles, that the word of God, I think, is a, is a light that will guide you through those dark times. And you just have to hang on to those and take it a day at a time and keep your mind busy. Don't, don't let your mind just 
you know, go around and around and around on the hurt and the pain. Uh, you got to put your mind in a constructive way. You know, for me, that's what law school was. I got into law school and I was able to put my mind into a constructive place and, and find a way to use that for the kingdom of God. So I, I think that's that's the best advice, you know, to go through a, a difficult time is hang on to the word and take it a day at a time and let God guide you. You said two things about your own experience that, um, that I think they're two halves of a whole, but you said that often friends don't know when to come near or may not know what to say. Um, and so God is the ultimate comfort. We, we know that his, you know, one of the titles for his spirit obviously is the comforter. He, he gives us promises about that, that he won't leave us. And he does, he does come near. Um, but then you, you've mentioned so many times your family and the environment that you were you're brought up in. But one of the things that was difficult for me in going through times of difficulty is, to be honest, I felt so, my self-image was tied up in so many of the circumstances that hurt me that it was difficult for me to see value sometimes in myself or my life or even to some degree what, what God was doing in me. Um, and I found that I had some key core friends who would, you know, routinely remind me that there was value there, that God was still at work and that, that they saw value in me. Did you have anybody like that that would, would kind of come along beside and say, hey, you're not uh, Satan's evil twin. You know, I, I, I've got confidence in you. You're going to make it. Um, or was it all um, Luke Moore Morose at General Conference? <laughs> no, there was there were some people that were amazing, and I'm still very close to them today. And I found that people, uh, when you when you go through uh, hurt and heartache, especially uh, when you're in the public eye, I was very much in the public eye. I was youth president of Florida, um, and I was traveling, speaking every week somewhere. So uh, it, it was it, it was probably more public to me than anybody else because everybody's dealing with their own stuff. But I felt like I was in a magnifying glass and kind of in a fishbowl. And I found really that people uh, are in one of three categories. One category, people say, you know what? I always knew there was something wrong with him. It's finally come out. (laughs) (laughs) And those people, you're not going to make happy no matter what you do. Uh, There's another group that just uh, is neutral and they just kind of wait to see how the dust is going to settle. Yep. And uh, before they find they they form a final opinion, and they're just kind of acquaintances and they're neutral. And then you have the crowd that you refer to, and the ones that come close to you and minister to you, and the ones that come and just sort of get up under your arms and help you through those times. I believe God gives you those kind of people, like David. He gave him those mighty men, Abishai and Joab, yeah. people that would come and say, "Hey, you're the light of Israel. We're going to fight for you. We're going to help you." And get up under his arms and support him. Those are people that you never forget. And God gives those people. I believe it's a gift from God. But he puts people in your life at a critical time. that and, And you bond with them. And it's a blessed relationship that continues years later. After, you know, you're on track and everything's going great. You're ministering thousands of people. Those people you never forget because you truly feel a bond that God put them there at a critical time. Oh, I could, I can, I can name them today. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're engraved in my heart uh, for the, the, and 
I can never repay God right. for sending me certain types of friends and, and people that have been there for me. The the family of God has been very faithful to me. I, I really can't I have no complaints in that regard. But how does it how does it feel today to be that person for somebody else? Somebody walks through the door at Palm Bay and you personally or the the the, the congregation that you lead, you become the body of Christ as represented at Palm Bay becomes that for somebody. What does that feel like to, to be on this side of your trauma, but to see somebody else, whether it's physical, whether it's social, whether it's financial, whether it's mental, it's all spiritual. Somebody's being restored. How does that feel today to be David Powers and seeing that happen? Well, I, I tell you, it gives you so much joy. And I, I know it brings us full circle to the book, but, you know, in the joy bucket, we talk about that where you get so much joy out of helping others that you probably would not have if you hadn't gone through what you did. So part of that joy bucket is when things are emptied out, sometimes voluntarily, sometimes involuntarily, things are taken from you that you love. Sometimes your bucket gets turned over. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It gets knocked over, you know, and, and, and you, you try to, you know, regather, but what you find is that you love the the uh, opportunity to be able to minister to others. You love being able to help other people uh, that are in uh, maybe a similar situation. Because guys, I think it, it gives purpose to your journey. It sure. gives fulfillment for why you have tra- traversed the course that you have in life. Are you. You mentioned uh, 115 countries uh, for you personally, but that's not just, you're not just stamping a passport or taking a vacation and call ministry. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're engaged on a regular basis in, in short term and intermediate term global missions projects, but you've led, uh, you've led the folks there at Eastwind to be involved as well. You, uh, you've got Healing Hands International and you guys are involved in ongoing funding projects and, and service projects. Um, what have you learned through that process of kind of linking arms with the global church? What what have you learned that has changed your own walk with God or your own ministerial approach? Because we often talk about what we give when we go on a trip, but I have to confess, I I bring a lot of stuff home. It, it, right. it, it, I, I learn a lot too. I'm interested in what lessons you've learned by linking with the global church. Well, I've personally experienced uh, an amazing journey when I was about 20 years old. I went on a, back then it was called International Youth Corps. We went to the British Isles and I found how much more joy there was in not just seeing great sights and beautiful countries, but to actually be ministering while you're there. And that set me on a journey to minister in other countries in as many ways as possible. And, which I experienced and I enjoyed. Uh, Hands for Healing was a nonprofit that we started building uh, medical clinics, orphanages, churches overseas. And I began to try to expose as many people as I could uh, to overseas because of what it did for me individually. And so I started taking groups of men to build churches, groups of, of, of men and women uh, to minister in orphanages. My own family and I and our three children, my wife and I, we went to Africa many times, three, four, five weeks at a time. And our church bought into the vision 
that when we reach out and we minister to the body of Christ as a whole, he takes care of us at home. Right. We found this with our own individual church. We started at a time when we had stepped up and taken on a lot more debt when we built the, the new church building. God spoke to us and said, you know, if you'll bless my work, you'll never have to worry about your own mortgage. We didn't know we, we didn't know month to month how we were going to pay our mortgage. But we tripled our missions giving and we were debt free in six years. Oh, and so God. it was a principle that we started then just trying to expose others to. And that is that if you give, if you bless the work of God, then God will bless you. You won't have to worry about your own finances. You don't have to worry about your own home. If you minister to other people and you give of yourself abundantly in third world countries where people are desperate and hungry for the Lord, that God will honor and reward you in your own home front and he will bless you. So we started out on a, on a, on a quest to, to build what we called a dream team of 500 people that we could expose to global missions. And we're okay. still on that journey and God is still honoring and blessing it. And we were, <laughs> we were kind of shut down a little bit through COVID, but we just turned all of that same uh, energy and emphasis on domestic crusades. And yeah. we started going into cities and high school football stadiums and having crusades, which we're getting ready to do here in a couple of weeks. We have crusades and football fields for cities right here in America. And uh, if I could just sort of throw a plug in, we started a new ministry called Global Harvest in Motion yeah. with uh, Brother Robinette, Brother Chris Green, and you know, some of the team you and I have been a part of in Malawi yeah. and overseas. And we're just like, we, we have a desire to have crusades going on every weekend, overseas, domestic, and to see a million soul revival through an army of millennials that are raising up, that want to be involved in what God is doing in these last days. They want to get their hands in the harvest. And so I get a lot of joy out of being able to expose other people to this great journey that we've had and learning that real joy is about giving rather than receiving. And that's why, to your point, when we go overseas to help others, we go to give. But it's like the Bible says, more blessed to give than receive. We come back and we feel like we've been ministered to. Well, in that regard, that's how our relationship began. We, right. we had to travel about 6,000 miles to meet each other. Uh, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> although we live only about six hours away by car. But right. uh, we, we met in, in a global harvest field and uh, very, very fast friends because those experiences are so intense uh, in terms of spiritual ministry and uh, cultural change and all of that. And um, I just, for those who don't have the privilege of knowing you, uh, David's written the right book. He's a fun guy to be around. I know we talked about the spiritual aspects of joy, but there's a lot of happiness and laughter. And uh, I, you know, I, I like people who know how to have fun. Uh, I know that we're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be frivolous people, but I also, you know, they used to sing a song a long time ago. We are happy people. Yes, we are. We've, we've been baptized in Jesus' name, spoken tongues with the Holy Ghost came. We're happy people. Yes, we are. And so I, I, think, uh, I think all doctrine and no laughter uh, makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> I, think, I think it's good. I think it's good I to, totally agree. To, to, take, to take him more seriously and maybe ourselves a little less. And, and I've had to work on that in my life. So I enjoy being around people like yourselves. And, that sort of point the way naturally to, to those of us who who might not be as, as naturally joyful and, and, and to, to do that. But final question, um, 
for me, what, what's your life about? Why did God make you? And, and, and what, what's your life about? What's he doing now? That's, that's, that's going to make a difference a hundred years. It's a great question. I think it's a question that all of us ask at some point in our lives. For me personally, a couple of years ago, I really felt like the Lord kind of gave me a revelation about what my role was on this earth. And I saw myself as an Isaac, you know, Isaac, um, he, he had to take what was given to him from his father, Abraham, and, uh, pass it down, uh, to, uh, his sons and to Jacob in particular. And he was a middleman. I see myself as a middleman now. I feel like I've been given a lot. I had a tremendous father. He's uh, almost 87 and still teaching on Wednesday nights. Uh, tremendous mother, uh, parents, forefathers. Uh, the gospel that you and I get to uh, preach and be a part of. Uh, the heritage is amazing. And, and now I feel like my role, Clay, is to pass it to the next generation. And I want to be able to influence young people. I want to, I'm so excited about these millennials. Yeah. You know, we started this Winds Conference here at Eastwind, and we just found there was like a, it was more than a conference. It's been like a mobilization. Yeah. They have such courage and such boldness and faith. And you know, sometimes Clay, I look around at these uh, crusades. You know that you and I get to be a part of overseas, and I look around and I think I'm the oldest guy here. No wonder I'm <laughs> wore out. <laughs> <laughs> They're all younger than me, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no wonder absolutely. I'm having a hard time keeping up, you know. And and but, these guys, uh, these guys and ladies, they're fit. I mean, they oh, can go twenty hours a day, and they, you know, they're they're praying through the Uber drivers and baptize <laughs> them in the hotel swimming pools, and it is absolutely nuts. But I I, I echo what you're saying. I, I pardon the interruption, but I. I echo what you're saying. I, you know, I'm at the get off my lawn stage of life where I'm supposed to be a curmudgeon and I'm supposed <laughs> yeah. to think the world's going to Hades in a handbasket and nobody wants to live for God and everybody hates truth. I'm telling you, there are some people, uh, some of the people that I admire most on this planet are 20 years younger than I, not, not just 20 years older. And that is a marvelous place to be in life. Because I'm so enthused about the army that God is raising up. I I praise God for our elders and all that they have accomplished. And I can't wait to see some of those friends again when this thing is all wrapped up. Absolutely. But I'm also very enthusiastic about the people that you're mentioning that, that you and others are influencing to, to truly embrace apostolic revival and evangelism uh, all over this planet. It's It's a wonderful wonderful time to to be alive i i want to encourage everybody um if you got 10 bucks go spend it on the joy bucket if you don't have 10 bucks brother myers is a lawyer just write him and say i need it <laughs> make, make, make your, your first paragraph say i need it and your last paragraph say i need it pull a string and make it pucker all the way through uh, <laughs> that's right <laughs> It's a That's great it. book. Yeah. Uh, we just I've enjoyed want you to have the material. Absolutely. I've enjoyed this so much. Um, it's cost me money. Now I got to go back and look at your 
your literary uh, catalog and get these other <laughs> books that I, I didn't even know about because you're so humble. But uh, it's such a privilege to speak with you today, Fred. Any parting shots or wisdom that you have for us, um, for, for young men and young women that are seeking their place in the kingdom of God, give us a nugget that you would share with them, a word of encouragement or, or a word of admonition uh, to those that are stepping into the fore and are being used of God in our hour. What would you share with them? Just know that God is on your side. He's got a call in and a destiny for you. And don't let your weaknesses, your hurts, or your pains disqualify you. Know that God uses the whole person. He will use your strength and abilities as well as your insecurities and your fears. All of them come together to make you a special individual that no one else is exactly like you. God created you for a special place in the kingdom of God. And he has a path for you. He has a ministry for you and you're valuable to the kingdom of God. And if you can pick up uh, this book, you can go to eastwind.church. And at the top of it is a tab that'll say order. Drop down and you can order it straight from our church office. Uh, the other books are there as well. And any of those books that you want, if you don't have the money, like Brother Clay said, just let us know. We want to make sure we are able to get this material to you. The Joy Bucket is a, is a hardback book, but it's not a big book. It's a great gift book that you can give to others. Uh, Clay, when we released it in December of 2000, uh, people gave them as Christmas presents. And we've had people come to church requesting it. So whatever we can do uh, to just help uh, to spread the joy and the love of God, that's what we're here for. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I appreciate it greatly. So wonderful. I, I, I felt the spirit of intercession and, and indeed of prophecy as you were speaking to those younger leaders. And I'd just like to take this opportunity and, and ask you if you would, would you just pray over our listeners right now? Absolutely. Uh, I just feel that the Holy Spirit is going to touch someone whenever they listen to this digital opportunity for embracing your leadership and mentorship. Could you just uh, speak to the Lord right now for our listeners that God will use them and, and pray in whatever way you'd like? Because I, I feel it would be a blessing to someone who's listening right now. Absolutely. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, you for the joy that you give us in our heart, in our spirit, in our soul. I'm so thankful for my friend Clay and for the listeners that were a part of this podcast. Thank you. I ask you, God, that you would allow us, especially in this season of uncertainty that we're in right now, whenever we look around in this world and we see that people are grasping to know what the reality is, what the future is, God, you have called all of us yes. as Esthers and Daniels to the kingdom for such yes. a time as this. Jesus. You have a place for each and every one of us. And times, Lord, you understand Amen. the frailty of our flesh. You understand, Lord, that we deal with our hurts and our pains and our scars of life. Jesus. But, Lord, you have made something beautiful. You have created us. You have kept us on the potter's wheel. And, Lord, you are designing vessels of honor and instruments Hallelujah. of praise that your glory can flow through, that your spirit can flow through. And I just pray, God, a special anointing, a double portion of your spirit, Ready. Lord, upon every listener. I pray, God, Ready. that the hand of the Lord would lead and guide those individuals that feel like maybe they've been overlooked or that they don't have a place in the kingdom of God. I pray, God, that those voices of the enemy would just be uh, quenched and that the yes. hand of God 
And the voice of God would just shout into their lives that this is their moment. This is the day of revival. And you choose to use this generation to speak to this world. And I just pray, God, that you would encourage every listener that they might feel your love and your strength and know that you are leading them and guiding them. In In Jesus' Jesus name, name. we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the Apostolic Review, please visit apostolicreview.com.